Welcome to the O four hundred podcast, the podcast for dreamers. Good morning, boys. Good morning, guys. Good morning. If y'all could only hear the conversations that happen right before we hit record at four a.m., it's pretty great. So it is four a.m. December third, Friday, December third, two thousand twenty-one. Almost made it through the year, guys. Yeah. Can you believe it? Well, how are y'all doing? Tired. Yeah. Per usual. The holidays are awesome and they're exhausting. Going back and forth between parties and obligations and things like that. But they're all good things. So tired, but great, man. Could I'm glad to be here. Yeah. I'm going to start in the morning. You know, this is the time of the year for me personally where I reflect. And I think that's mm. very common for lots of people. Um, what a year it's been yeah how many thousands of places we've been this year personally and then also together yeah and I'm just so grateful I'm so grateful to be here with and especially with y'all yeah what's you know. one thing this year that you've been reflecting on or you're like hyper grateful for I mean we are just right past Thanksgiving what's what's something you're really thankful for I'm thankful for family. I'm thankful for my marriage and my my relationship with with Lacey and you know of course we have this baby on the way and mm. um you know part of our story is you know, there was a real possibility like we held it in our hands. We've been on a, a journey with having a baby. Uh it's been difficult for us and here we are. Mm. And so Anyone who's been through this will understand. I held in my hands, Lacey and I both did, the possibility that we wouldn't ha- be able to have our own baby, and that's a strange, that's a strange place to be. Kind of pushes all the buttons, you know. It's like we can, you know, we, as you know, have volunteered for adoption and things like this, and um, now that we're here, it's just. Amazing. You know, God is good. God is faithful. Hmm. And he's totally attuned to our hearts and our desires. And it doesn't always feel that way. And so I just wanted to kind of throw a stake in the ground with a big flag on it that's flapping in the wind, you know. Um, I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful that we're starting a family. Hmm. There's many other things I could say, but that's the fir- that's the first thing that came to mind. Yeah, man. I thought that this year was going to be the year that things go from starting to actually seeing like things take shape. Uh, but it's been a lot of transitions this year, and I'm really grateful for that. Whether it be with like the kids and starting to get independence or switching jobs so I can have more energy for myself or starting the podcast, starting to do more creative stuff, you know, starting jujitsu, like all these like starts has been, um, it's been really great. I wish it was more of a cultivating season, but all these things I think are, are leading to that. And I'm super grateful. Life on the side of the mountain. Hmm. Hmm. 
Is it Eugene Peterson that would say all the life and all the life is on the side of the mountain? Yeah. There's nothing up there on the top. People can't even breathe up there. <laughs> but that's where we want to live, right? Right. As dreamers, especially. But all the life is on the side of the mountain and it's a struggle. But that's where the trees are. That's where the animals are. And there's that moment in the, if you've ever been to a, seen a tall mountain where all the tree line, mm-hmm. where life stops. I love that you're quoting Eugene Peterson right now. He's mm-hmm. awesome. Come on, man. Run with the Horses is one of my favorite books. That's got to be on the book list. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Hmm. Man, it's been a great year. There's been so many good things that have happened. It's been, you know, it's been an exhausting year in a lot of ways because of so many things that are happening. Um, so I do think this is kind of the, the season of the, of the planting, like we're sowing the seeds, um, not just as a group here, but also in my own life and my marriage and, um, in the town where I live, you know, like all these sorts of things. I'm so grateful for my wife. Sydney's incredible. And honestly, guys, like I'm so grateful for the town that I'm living in because the, like it has become like a haven for me. Um, I feel like in some ways, it's not perfect, obviously, no town is, but in some ways I feel like I've found a community of people that that uh, I want to spend my life like investing in, you know? And like through the gym that we opened and um, just the incredible impact. Yeah, you don't just live there. You're you're part of the town. Yeah, yeah. It's not just a place where I live. It's it's a hometown. It, it, it feels like almost like a like a shire, like a garden, you know? Um, and so I don't know, it's just been a really interesting year of, of growth and relationship building and, um, sowing seeds and, uh, looking forward to 2022. A lot of good stuff coming down the way that is, uh, that's exciting. Yeah. I was starting to believe that or question my belief if there truly was before we found that town, a place like that. You know, you always hear about it in the movies or people growing up and talking about how great their hometown was, but like to actually find a community like this, Mm -hmm. I was starting to believe that like, okay, maybe that's just a pipe dream, but it's everything that you could hope for and more. Yeah. You know? And I think, I think especially for, for me, the gym being there that we're opening that like I'm getting to invest in a hundred, we have, we're up to like 130 students now. And like to be able to invest in not just the jujitsu, but in the people and see how it's changing lives and see these yeah. kids come around and start like having confidence and these adults that are, that have these goals that are meeting them. It's just very cool. So it, yeah, I don't know. It just is very interesting. It's a very interesting place and a, a very interesting time. Uh, so yeah, really grateful for 2021. And, um, and I think that 2022 is going to be even better. That's the ultimate head fake, I think, about jiu-jitsu in my limited experience is it's not about fighting. Hmm. It's like a transformation center. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. you go and you get plugged into community and obviously all of the character development that's that's you can't do jiu-jitsu. I don't think in my view, I I mean, I'm I'm ignorant probably in some ways, but. You can't do jujitsu without involving yourself in the transformation, transformational process and character development. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's not just about fighting. Right. It, fighting is probably like the, one of the lowest things on the list. 
right? I agree with that. And I mean, I think, I think you have to apply intention to it, you know, because there, I'm sure there are people that, you know, this year there've been a few scandals that have kind of rocked the jujitsu world of people that, that got into positions of power and abused them, you know? Um, and so it still exists, but I think that the gym culture you create is important and the individual intention applying to the, the goal where it's not just about the fighting, it is about the transformation. If you're doing it right, it's going to change you for the better. Um, and I think that we're doing it right to perfect us. And so we're seeing the changes take place in people. And, um, yeah, it's just very interesting. It's every, every single day it is, it is fighting, but it's fighting with yourself in a sense. Like that's it. You're, you're taking, you're kind of like every single day embracing suffering, embracing the uncomfort of getting beat up and, you know, and saying like this, if I take what I'm learning here, if I can handle this, I can handle anything. You know, if I can handle, you know, Jake smashing my face for uh, for five minutes, you know, I can take talking to my, having an uncomfortable conversation with my boss or having a, mm-hmm. you know, or like, or like standing up for myself in a situation where I normally would let myself get steamrolled. And so there's so many things that happen on the mats that affect who you are off the mats. So, yeah, I think that, I think that jujitsu, when thought of with intention um can really become just a very powerful transformational tool because you're essentially you know descending to the underworld every day and coming back with something new you know it's like this this, the hero's journey man that's it Mm -hmm. wow yeah yeah anyways i also get that from watching football huh i love college football because it's about these kids who've been like building towards being in this moment for their entire lives, you know, it was like they've dreamed about this moment and getting to the to play in the NFL, prospectively, and then get like a huge reward for it. And to see them like struggle and overcome and have camaraderie and um and like Alabama last uh, last week, you know, yeah. behind, 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 like mental errors, like just keep they just keep trying and they they're not getting anywhere, but. In the last, you know, minute of the game, they turn, <clears throat> they turn it around, and end up just executing so well because they're so hungry for it. Like that football, I never played it, always wanted to, but it really fires me up with seeing like that's the hero's journey right mm-hmm. there. In a, in a in a span of three hours, you see the entire hero's journey, and it's really really powerful. But Brent, you have a five minute share for us, buddy. Yeah. Well, the, before I jump into that, I mean. One thing I'll offer to 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 this conversation is this is why I think it's important. Uh, I'm not I'm not a great athlete or anything like that, um, but uh, I do ve- totally value lettering in two sports in high school, uh, which were lacrosse and and soccer. Mm. And for for me, lacrosse was the main one. This is why I think kids should letter in a sport this is the reason it's character development and football I think takes the cake uh at least in our culture lacrosse was, was very similar but also lacrosse has a lot more of you get a lot more like rebels and stuff like in, in lacrosse but uh football in particular anyone that's seen season one of Friday Night Lights will understand this mm, or remember show. the Titans or a thousand other football movies that have come out stories that have been told about character Rudy come on yeah man um character development 
doing something hard on purpose in community. Yeah. And there's always that kid on the team that everyone hates, right? Or, or that, that runs the slowest or something. And something amazing happens when a team bonds. There's people that don't like each other in the team, but they, they do something hard on purpose, something physical that's, that requires them to, to spend their energy and run out of their patience. And, and then you kind of what we've, what we've been talking about where you kind of lean in when someone's in pain mm-hmm. and you want to see who they are. It's amazing. I, I, I don't, you know, I don't know if you all have experienced that, but, um, I think anyone who's played sports, uh, um, at that, you know, experiences this to some degree. It's, it's a beautiful thing that the camaraderie and the bonding that happens. Oh yeah. Anyway, football, sports. <laughs> I just finished. Sports. I know we we're getting the five minute share, but I've I've been reading a book called Every Moment Matters. It's about coaching, and in particular, it's about coaching kids, and how right now the sport um, participation all around the world, at least in the United States, in this book, has decreased by so much, and part of it is like the game is be is not fun anymore for a lot of people like we're so focused on results parents are so focused on results that they're not willing to let their kids lose for the sake of development so like they're they're coming up with all these things constantly now about how early specialization is bad for kids like if you get your kid in at six you're like well he's gonna be a baseball player so we're gonna put him in all the travel leagues yeah. and he spends his whole life you know for this travel league i saw an incredible stat the other day that is something like since since the invention of the Little League World Series, which you know is the the best kid baseball players in the world, um, I think it was like since the fifties, only twenty three of those kids have made it to the majors. Hmm. Wow! And and it's because these these kids they start so young, it's not fun anymore. It it becomes yeah. about results and not about the development of skill building. Right. Because you, <clears throat> you can't do both. Like there, yeah. uh, one thing I've learned in jujitsu is that there are two phases. There's a performance phase and there's a skill building phase. And when you live forever in the performance phase, um, you may get really good at performing, but you're going to get outtracked in your skill development because that takes like slowing down and analyzing and doing these things that aren't, you know, aren't pretty. It's the fundamentals. It's the fundamentals of life. It's the fundamentals of, of the sport. Which takes humility. Yeah, absolutely. It takes humility. And so these kids not only are quitting, their bodies are beat up by the time they're 18, you know? And so... Mm-hmm. Um, and they're one thing they realized in all these studies is that the kids who don't specialize early and if you coach in a way that usually creates short term losses, um, on the team, um, actually leads to long term success. Mm. But parents are so focused on the outcome now that they fire coaches who are trying to build skill and character in their kids rather than just making them win games, win games, win games. It's just a very interesting, very interesting book. If, wow. you, if you're ever going to be working with kids, anyone listening, um, coaching, teachers, I think Every Moment Matters, definitely a book to check out. That's I love really that. Cool. And of course, I know we have five minutes here, but yeah, this is such a <laughs> the longest <laughs> intro I, I think ever. we've run into a very interesting point, which we can, we can certainly elaborate on later. Uh, but when, when perfection is the standard and of course sports is performance and there's like a, everyone's trying to, uh, statistic, everyone's trying to perform at a level where they're, they're striving for perfection. Mm -hmm. And, but when that's the standard, it kills the soul. It kills the spirit, right? Yeah. Everything becomes hyper vigilant and hyper critical and it just kills the whole point. I don't know. 
we we forget the sport was originally about just fun, mm-hmm. having a good time, joy. Who was it? Was it um, Christopher McDougall, I think, who wrote um, "Born to Run"? I think so. You know, which is about ultra marathon runners and just the the metaphor of running. And he he said, I've probably said this before, but he said that we don't we don't run like we don't compete to to like beat each other. Like we run to be with each other. Hmm. And that I, to, to me, that goes right to the core yeah, of what this is all about. Like we don't dream to, I believe personally as a, a true romantic dreamer, we don't dream to, to, to win. We dream to, to be together. I, I think if your dream doesn't lead to that, it's not a dream mm. in, in the way that I mean, I speak of it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, five minutes share. Yeah, let's do it. We can we can circle back to some of that stuff. Um, are we on camera this time? We are. All right, cool. Um, are we going to be? I, I want to share a video with y'all. Are we going to be able to overlay this on the on, yeah. on the screen and all that? Should um, be unless there's copyright issues. Don't just cut it out. Okay. Well, I, I pulled it right off of YouTube. So fair use act. Yeah, I think I think it'll be fair use. I think we can do some ways that'll do it in a way that is fair use. All right. So for five minutes share today, um, I was inspired to, to share this. It's a, it's a video clip from one of my favorite movies of all time, uh, which is the movie, uh, hook, um, starring Robin Williams and a few other people. Um, Dustin Hoffman, I think plays captain hook. And is that um, your favorite childhood movie or is that your favorite now movie? Both. Well, I don't know if it's my favorite childhood movie. Uh, I would have to think about that, but it's one of them. I mean, it's top three. Um, most of my favorite childhood movies are starring Robin Williams <laughs> for some reason. So anyway, this is a book or this is a, a, a movie called Hook. Anyone who, who <coughs> is younger than me that didn't grow up in the 90s, um, please go back and watch it. Uh, certainly if you're inspired by this clip. But it's, it's basically a, it's a, it's a version of the story of Peter Pan. And I don't think we can talk about being a dreamer. And certainly when that overlays being in our contemporary culture, I don't think we can, we can talk about that or explore that without coming across many of the concepts in the, in the narrative of Peter Pan. So of course we could, we could delve deep into that, but there's people that are way far better than, than me about doing that. But I just want to share this clip and then, um, and then I have a couple comments maybe I'll offer. Um, so I've already seen it. So I'm going to, I'm going to hand this all to you, um, to watch. It's about four minutes. Are we good with that? Yeah. It's a five minute share. So sure. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, go ahead and start that. This is the scene for those who've seen the movie where, um, Peter Pan, uh, I don't want, I, I think I probably should set it up for those who haven't seen it. So this, this version of Peter Pan takes place in, like modern day uh, at that time, which was in the 90s. And Peter Pan at that point had left Neverland and started a family and became like a uh, sort of a beaten down, weary, bruised, um, uninspired, begrudging adult. Like meaning well, but there was no heart. He was just showing up to work and trying to, to, to feed the children, and but he wasn't inspired. That's how the movie starts, kind of contemporary um, life. And then he gets kind of called into um, kind of the echo of Neverland 
finds him. The magic of that place finds him, and he's called into this adventure of true identity. So he he finds himself to Neverland. He was kind of whisked away whisked away to Neverland. Um, to to have his really his kingdom restored, um, and his identity restored. But he he kind of bucked against it on the way, like because as it's kind of like the the mind of an adult that's lost the inner child. Um, is forced into this inner child world and and he was a bit cynical at first and so um, it was very strange and frustrating for him and this scene in particular is when he he's sitting down with all the lost boys and they're all he's grown up he's an older man now and they're all kind of like poking at him and suspicious of him and kind of skeptical like who is this big flabby adult right I mean for the for the uh, for the lost boys, this was a man, this is kind of like the enemy. The only adult in Neverland really is Captain Hook and his minions. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I could be wrong about that, but that that's what I understand. And so adults are kind of the enemy in Neverland. And we could go more into that. But um, this scene in particular is they're all sitting down to a, a banquet, a feast, the Lost Boys, and Peter Pan being at the table. And um, they're serving food, um, but something interesting happens uh, when they're serving the food um, in this land of make-believe and, and, and magic. So I think that's a fair enough setup. I love that part.
<laughs> There's the turn. We bring Bing a ring back. So there you go. Um, gosh, I mean, there's so much I could say about that. But, well, let me start this way. What did y'all experience when you watched that just now? What came up for you? You know, it's really interesting because the, the story of Peter Pan, I've always viewed it as very tragic. Um, in a way, because you have, you have this, this, like the story being that you have someone who refuses to grow up. Right. But at the same time in this, you have kind of the redemption of that, where it's this person who did grow up and has developed into someone maybe he doesn't want to be fully and is like reconnecting with the part of Neverland that that is valuable to carry with you throughout your life. Because I think that, you know, I, I look at, like I look at my own life and how much I didn't appreciate my childhood when I was in it. And we look back on it now, and like, man, those times were so good, so much richness. And it's like, it takes, it takes going through the muck and, and like battling cynicism and, and, and the pains of growing up to reflect upon <clears throat> the value of, of childhood and using the imagination. And so I think that I saw redemption in that, in that, in that scene. It's a person who is reconnecting with what made them, them, mm -hmm. um, rediscovering the, their identity, their true identity, but also with the wisdom to be able to understand how, how beautiful it is. You know, mm -hmm. does that make any sense? Yeah. Cause it's like we talked about 
I don't know, a few episodes back about childlike versus childish, right? Mm -hmm. And it seems like the original story of Peter Pan seems childish, and that's why it seems tragic. But this, like you said, it's the restoration of childlikeness, imagination that quenches the soul once again. Have you seen this movie? If I have, it's been a really long time, and I can't even remember it. I probably have seen Hook. We have lots of movies to watch together, you guys. Um yeah, so every time I watch a movie like this, something in my heart is just, it almost hurts. It's like a longing. It's a desire, you know? It's like, oh, I want to live there. And I don't mean Neverland mm-hmm. specifically. I mean the heart of the movie. And I think I specifically I mean the 90s. I, I kind of not want to go back and be a kid again. I mean, I kind of do, but but I want to live in that culture again. Mm-hmm. Cause it's so different than our culture today. I mean, look at just noticing there's many great movies that come out, but, but in a different way, they're, they're, they're kind of, uh, encapsulating a different message or a different energy than, than many movies in the nineties did. The optimism. They had a heart. heart. They had heart. Yeah. Um, and yeah, anyway, that's not my point. My point is the reason I wanted to show that to, to me, that scene, that was the turning point in the whole movie Mm -hmm. when, when Pan was reunited with Peter, you know, uh, like his identity was restored and he kind of stumbled into it. He kind of begrudgingly, he was hungry mm-hmm. and, and it was all this invisible food. And the key that unlocked it all was imagination. And for him in particular, it was frustration that led him there. <laughs> Rufio. That's who he threw the, the food at at first, which is the false prophet, like the false uh, pan, mm-hmm. Rufio. He was like the, the placeholder. Um, anyway, we could go real deep into that, or I could anyway. Uh, but my point is, is that is the perfect picture, the perfect metaphor in my view of reality. And the invitation to dream. Imagination is the key. And I don't mean just dreaming like, you know, I want to be like famous or something. Imagination is the key to life. It's the key to healing in in the mental health therapy world, at least in my view. Imagination is the key. You can't, in my view, you can't completely heal or in some ways even engage it without imagination. And so I want, so that's the kind of the focus. The, the reason I chose that clip is because I would love to explore this concept of imagination with you guys um, and how important and, and essential it is. And it, ha- and it is the, the crux. It's the crossing point, the intersection of the inner child and the adult, mm-hmm. as, you know, as an adult. That's, imagination is the key that can unlock any door. It truly, truly is. And it was the key that restored his identity and also fed his belly. Like he was hungry. He, he actually had something to eat. And so for me, we, I could extrapolate or try to kind of dig deeper into the, the levels of that um, and kind of the meaning of that. And I think that would be a worthwhile adventure to explore. But it, something about something about the imagination being the most real thing that I've ever experienced. And that flies in the face of how many of us were essentially kind of scolded or shamed away from using our imagination 
uh, once we like in that transition of child to adult. Um, but it's the key. It's the key. And so, yeah, I, I think that's how, I think that's the most real thing there is, is we are living in a world of invisible substance. It's invisible, but that's not to say it's not real. Hmm. That's not to say it doesn't satiate. The key that unlocks it is whimsy, wonder, and imagination. And I think it's kind of interesting that for him, the key that unlocked it was anger, frustration, hunger. He just flippantly just kind of went with it. And then that was the thing. Uh, and then there's another scene later where he flies and that's kind yeah, of that's similar, similar kind of point, but, um, you know, where he had to think of something that makes him happy and I'm sorry, I'm sorry y'all, but to me, that's the most, that's the most real and true thing I've ever experienced in my entire, uh, life. And the importance of mysticism is so lost, right? <laughs> we were talking about that earlier. Just, uh, we've been just introduced to the orthodox faith after um i I had an evangelical background for those who don't know and they man i i feel like most parts of protestant faith has just lost the mysticism of of what it means to be someone who is seeking after god right and to see that this mysticism has been not only uh, kept, but like really seen as sacred and protected within the faith has been for like 2000 years, right? Like this, this is one of the original Christian uh, sections of, of our belief system. And to see that that still lives true and that there are people who live there as well has been like so so rejuvenating for me because i feel like we live now in a culture even in in our modern christianity our modern churches that everything has to be explained and everything has to have a hundred percent reason without a doubt certainty and and that includes like you know science even though ironically i feel like we're we're being muddled in in other ways, in ways that are more foundational, like those are being kind of moved around, but, but we, we're requiring so much fundamentalism and it's either this way or it's, or the other side is saying it's this way. And there's like, there's no nuance, there's no mysticism. And I feel like imagination and mysticism is, it's like just continues to be a thing that isn't prioritized anymore. Am, yes. I, am I missing that? Or? No, I think you're right. I think that I think that kind of like what we're talking about with with you know Peter Pan rediscovering his identity. That there's a lot to love about the West, a lot to love about the West. Um, but one of the things that I that frustrates me about the West is the need to formulize everything, um, to make everything like a bite sized <laughs> understandable, explainable phenomenon. Dude, do you have the Rona? I don't have the room. You're coughing over there. I got the, I got the bronchitis. Bron- <laughs> bronchitis. <laughs> I got the bronchitis. But everything's got to be, you know, formalized. Everything's got to be, you know, dialed in in a way that we can explain very quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that the mysticism you're talking about, this idea of mystery and 
and imagination and all these sorts of things, it's very foreign to our to our Western mind in a lot of ways because we don't think of it as real. Because it can't be explained in 140 characters. Right. Well, we can't we can't touch it. Just like just like Peter Pan couldn't touch the food. And so for him it wasn't there. It wasn't real. But for the people that were living in that space, in that space where kind of like the the um, metaphysical and physical meet, which we all live in that space, whether we acknowledge it or not, they were able to touch and enjoy that food. And they were able to enjoy the feast while the person who was trying so hard to just live by what his eyes could see, what his hands could touch, what he could hear, what he could smell, mm-hmm. like he was devoid of another layer of being there. Like there, there was another layer of humanity that he couldn't, he couldn't, he couldn't experience until he was willing to accept that there are things that are outside of his, you know, concrete understanding. And in so doing, he got angry, he got frustrated, and then suddenly he was there. He was touching it. Yeah. This is why I think it's important to notice what makes you angry. Just because something is, just because you can't see something doesn't mean it's not real. And I would submit that in my experience, the most real things are invisible. And there's probably a good reason for that. Like it requires using different eyes or it requires a a search, you know? Mm. And so for me, imagination is the key to reality. Like, are your dreams real? You know? Carl Jung would say yes. Mm-hmm. That's how he was. He was able to help anyone. Or he was able to help the people that no one else could help back in the world of psychoanalysis, which was also like very, very heavy on dream analysis. He was able to help people because he believed that their dream was real. So he had that famous case that I've talked about where he had the client who, um, or the patient um, who had the dream that she was on the moon mm-hmm. and no one could help her. He helped her because he believed she was on the moon. It was real, just in a different way. Wait, I haven't heard the story before. Have I not shared this? I think so. You've shared it with me before. This is one of the problems of being of talking, having conversations all day long for a living. Is <laughs> oftentimes I just assume that we've already talked about it. <laughs> well, Carl Jung had this, um, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing. Probably somebody could look this up, and maybe I'm getting a, diff- a little bit different. But the point is that what I remember from from hearing this anecdote was. Uh, Carl Jung was a, a psychoanalyst um, that uh, studied under under Sigmund Freud, and they had a falling out because Carl Jung kind of went into a spiritual metaphysical direction, and Freud was was very much a child of the Enlightenment, um, which we could talk about as yeah. far as the progression of the Western mind and the the loss of the the, the deep, the rich, the the mythical. Uh, but Carl Jung embraced that. He kind of brought those two worlds together, and that's how he. That's why we're still talking about him. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he had this. So he he this patient came to him, who was this lady that was having a dream that she was on the moon, and no one could help her. No one could figure out what the dream was and what it meant. Dreams are so interesting. Like literal dreams that when we have when we're sleeping are so interesting. It's like it's like this guttural groan of the of our subconscious trying to communicate to us and it's up to us to see what it's saying. Um, watch our dream, like watch your dreams. 
it's amazing. Anyway, sidebar. <laughs> I could totally talk about that. But my point is he had this patient who, who had this dream that she was on the moon. No one could help her. And she finally came to Carl Jung. And he helped her immediately, I think, because he believed that she was on the moon. Now, this is going to just shine a spotlight on the fallacy of thinking in the Western mind in some ways is she wasn't literally on the moon. Like the, that thing in the sky that may or may not have been landed on, <laughs> which we could talk about, <laughs> which we could talk about. <laughs> but um, he believed that in this sense, she was on the moon. It was a deep archetypal uh, reality of isolation and loneliness that she was experiencing. And he saw that so he believed her hmm. and that's how he, he was able to help her. So he saw the invisible. So <coughs> gosh, I mean, this thing is so loaded, but I would submit because children are, are imaginative, right? And we celebrate that about them, but something happens in school in the way that we're, that we are, we're shuffled through the system and maybe you escaped this Jake um, with your, the way that you were educated, but I was, I went to public school and, and I love public school and I really want my children to go to public school. Cause I think that's, it's important to learn how to deal with, with people. Um, but, and then this is a side whole another conversation. I don't, you know, I think we've talked about, I'm considering homeschool more and more because I, I don't want my children to be, um, I think public schools are, are in a tough spot. Um, anyway, part of my experience, I loved my experience and I went to really good schools and just in the town I lived in talk, going back to what you're talking about with Columbia. I have that town. I grew up in that town. It's called Worcester, Ohio. Mm. Don't move there if y'all are listening because it'll ruin it. <laughs> but, um, it was just, it was hometown USA. Just a, it's just a community. Anyway. Um, lots of rabbit trails I'm noticing today, but the point is, is there seems to be this shoving away or kind of guiding away of imagination at some point in the journey when we're educated, where it becomes, uh, more of pragmatic and rational and reasoned thinking, which are all great things. And also, um, this is, I think part of the benefit and the nutrients that came out of the enlightenment of rational mindset and thinking, it wasn't just the enlightenment. This has been going on for years and years. And I mean, Socrates and Plato and Platonic thinking, but, um, this, this idea of the scientific method being the only thing that we can truly trust is the objective reality, which it, which means objective reality means in this, uh, framing, uh, things that we can measure physically in the, in the material world. And, there's so much benefit, obviously, I mean, that has come from that, that we, we share. And I mean, we're talking into microphones and we're, we're posting things on the internet and, you know, everything in this room, right. Uh, that we're in right now, um, could only come to fruition through the scientific method. Uh, and I would also submit that everything in this room was first inspired in the imagination. So everything you see from my shoes to the chair, to the lights, to that lamp, uh, to my phone, it all started in somebody, somebody had a, a picture in their mind. They saw something that wasn't real necessarily. It was like a potential and they made it real. 
So there's mm-hmm. like this pairing of the the East and the West, the scientific method with with um, this metaphysical vision. So I think to me that's the point. That's why I wanted to share the video yeah. is redeeming the imagination, not fantasy. There's a difference. Fantasy is escaping reality. I believe imagination is embracing it. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. seeing the unseen. Um, yeah, so we could we could talk more and more about that. Um, but and and I think my last point here, and I'll th- I'll toss it back to y'all is is I believe personally, and, and I don't just believe this. I know it's true. Is imagination is part of our consciousness, is part of our experience that's happening all the time. Mm-hmm. It never ends. Even when we sleep, we dream, I- even if we don't remember it. But it never ends, imagination. And I would submit that most of our most of us live in an imagination that's been that's been captured or held hostage. And w- what I would call that is fear and speculation, anxiety, depression. These things are essentially imagination. It's like it's imagination. It's, it's like us driving the 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 jeep, kind of going through the wilderness, like off road. And fear and speculation. So we're driving with our imagination. We can go anywhere we want to go. When we let go of the wheel, when we when we move over to shotgun seat, when, when we let go of the wheel, our imagination doesn't go anywhere. It's an illusion that that we're kind of taught to to not do that. Get your head out of the clouds, right? The ruler that slaps down on the desk. <laughs> I don't know if you all had that teacher. You know, focus, pay attention. And imagination doesn't care. It just keeps going. And so when we let go of the wheel of imagination, our vehicle still drives, but there's no one behind the wheel. And I think the default for us in our humanity and our brokenness and our fallen nature is fear and speculation, which I would submit is just imagination with no one driving. Mm. It's the default. It's Mm -hmm. you're imagining scenarios that disturb you that may or may not be real. I mean, how much of our day is spent speculating in fear on all the things that the what ifs and all the things that can happen. So anyway, I I think I've talked enough about it, but what do y'all think? Man, I, when you were talking about a couple things, when you were talking about how everything that's concrete in this room is, is presupposed by someone imagining it in their head. That's fascinating. I've never thought about that. It's like, it's like it walks hand in hand. You can't have one without the other. You have the natural world, right? So we, we can go outside and we have the trees, we have the mountains, we have the sky, which is a physical reality that we apply our own sort of metaphysical understanding to, like symbolically representing through words. Like every, every word we say is a symbol, right? It's just symbols 10 times removed, which I think also would have begun an imagination. Like, oh, I can represent mm. this with a sound, right? And... So in that way, nature and imagination works hand in hand, because if we weren't here to, to witness it, the tree falls in the forest, right? If we aren't, the fact that we are here witnessing it and we impose meaning upon it is an act of imagination. And we wouldn't have an improvement as a species right, if right. we didn't have imagination. I didn't even think about that. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So that's what, that's, that's what I'm saying is like the, the, con- the concrete physical world is we impose our own meaning onto that which is an act of imagination it may it may have been unintentional at first but we can do it intentionally as well 
which is an act of imagination. We're talking about jujitsu earlier. Like you can do it mindlessly, but that is not, that's not how it should be. When you apply your imagination, your intention to it, that's when you start to reap the benefits of it. And then on the other side, the things that human, human beings have created began in the mind as well. Music, music is pure imagination. Um, and then you're talking about the fear and speculation. I think it's, it's so interesting that we live in this age of like, people are so miserable right now. <laughs> people are so miserable. And it's because I, I think, I think one of the main reasons, sorry guys, people are so miserable is Dude, that. Could you put a mask on? I'm kidding. <laughs> I promise I got. I'm kidding. You know, sorry. That was, I shouldn't have, that was a, that was a bad joke. The O'Flim hundred podcast. <laughs> O'Flim hundred. Um, but we're, I think one of the reasons people are so miserable is we don't give our selves time to imagine it's 100%. like like when we have a free moment now what are we doing we're digging into something else we're consuming which are all things whatever we're consuming are all things that someone else imagined exactly mm-hmm. and that fuels the fear and speculation that fuels the feelings of inadequacy um that aren't that aren't real but they're real to us right but then we also live in the world of like the, um, uh, what is it? It's like, believe it, achieve it, you know, like, like materialize it. Like manifestation. Manifestation. And in some ways, I think that's bunk. And in other ways, I think it's absolute reality. We saw it here in 0400, where we began to, you know, in our time before we started the podcast, we were just meeting, we started to imagine what our life was going to be like imagine what we wanted imagine what our dreams were imagine who we were what do we want where are we going and we've seen it manifest in reality and it began with the the belief and the imagining of what life could be Mm -hmm. and so it's almost like reality follows the imagination of human beings um in that way come on dude dude there's so much there's so much there that is so fascinating I knew this was a good one. <laughs> uh, I would say, though, in the importance of imagination, I think similar to dreams, imagination is just the truest self trying to speak to you. You know, and that's the difference between fantasy and imagination. It's like, like you said, fantasy is really disconnecting and with more externalities, right? Like you're disconnecting from inside here and going over there. But imagination and giving yourself space is so the internal can become external, right? That's where the truest self is speaking, similar to, to maybe how our dreams are trying to speak to us as well. I, I, had, I, can't, I know I've talked about this in 0400 when we've met, but I don't think I've talked about it on the podcast. Because I want to go back into this combines both dreams and creativity. Um, I guess about a year ago. And if I, if I said this on a podcast, just shut me up. But I don't think I did. Um, about a year ago, I had a dream with a melody and words. Um, and because I'm a songwriter, um, I had this dream. A really I, good one, too, by the way. Thank you. Can I, can I say the name? Yeah. Sugar and Steel, y'all. <laughs> Check it out. <laughs> my wife and I. <laughs> Dadgummit. 
<laughs> yeah, man. You might want to get that checked out. I did. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, okay to be sick, y'all. Yeah. We can live our lives. Yeah. Um, it's good for you. We can live our lives. <laughs> live our lives. But, um, yeah, so, like, uh, I was I just dreamed this melody and, and words, too. And it was, um, if... Uh, will you go my way if you're going my way? And the melody was beautiful. And I woke up in the can middle you, of the night. Can you sing it, please? I'll, I'll probably cough through it. Will you go my way if you're going my way? Something like that. And I woke up in like 3 a.m. And I, I went to the bathroom and I recorded it. And I was reflecting on it. 3 a.m. 3 a.m. You woke up at 3 a.m. Mm-hmm. I think that's important. We'll circle back. And I, uh, I went to the bathroom and recorded. I woke up the next day and I was reflecting on that melody. So like, that's, that's beautiful. And for some reason, the, the, the sound of it haunted me, right? Like, and the lyrics go in my way and you're inviting someone along with you. Right. And so I was like, okay, so I could write this. I could, I could let this be a song about a relationship. I could, you know, whatever. And I was actually like, let's actually, I want to write this song about just the mystery of the fact that I dreamed that. And um, creativity itself and imagination. And so the idea being like, why does the human being, if we exist only in this reality, in this concrete plane where everything is tangible and measurable, what is it that calls out from within us to create? You know, why, why is there something in us that, that like, yearns for this and why does our heart not only respond because you think about what music is it's literally just vibrations it's sound waves it's laws of physics yet somehow when it's put together in a particular way our heart responds and it, it responds viscerally almost like we're meant to to understand it or not understand it to experience it this is why i love music in particular, because it's a way to think with heart, mm. not with mind. Yeah. I mean, it obviously is with mind. Absolutely. But with heart, there's a thinking that occurs in the heart and it requires emotion to, to move in it. Right. And it's like the concrete laws of physics, the vibrations, like I heard some, I don't know if it's true or not, but I heard that the universe hums at like a really low A flat, like way beyond what people can ever understand or hear. But like the fact that we're just putting sound waves together and we can imagine how it would sound and then make it happen in reality and then experience it and have a visceral reaction to it. That is another example in which reality is governed by imagination. Mm -hmm. And that, and, and it's just fascinating that that sprang from a dream that is also something that can become tangible. Every every song ever made was a dream or something imagined that has been that is created by harnessing the laws of physics in a particular manner that creates emotional reactions. Is that it's baffling. It flies in the face of so much of what we've been told or taught by our culture, contemporary culture that uh, that emotions are fleeting. Mm. Now, we, we don't want to make too much of emotion. We don't want to dwell in emotion. But to totally dismiss it outright as something intangible and invisible and, and something you just need to govern, which there is some truth to that. 
We don't want to be governed by our emotions. But it's a total outright dismissal of the magic mind, of magical thinking, which isn't fantasy in the way that I define it. It certainly can be. But firmly rooted in reality by internal groans and longing, Mm. desire, which, of course, every dreamer knows. Yeah. And the the fear and speculation we were talking about when it's an imagination without a driver, (laughs) without a driver, um, also when we harness that power, like the night I met Sydney, right? This sounds, I was a crazy person, right? But I immediately was like imagining our future together, you know? And like, and that was an aim. Like that was, that was an end point. I was like, okay, I met this girl and this is what I want our future to be. I didn't tell her that first night, obviously. I waited till the second night I saw her. That, you know, well, I think everyone does that. Yeah, yeah. But like, I think, I think that's the point. It's like you, you make mm-hmm. a goal, you imagine a goal and orient yourself towards it. Even then, it's like goal making and all the sorts of things and hopes and, and the feelings of gratitude. All this stuff requires us to apply intentional imaginative power and energy to it. And then our, our body follows. That's right. Think about anything you've ever done that didn't involve that process, whether you knew it or not. Whether it was something you imagined or something someone else did that you just kind of fell in line with. You bought, right? But again, like Stephen Pressfield's book, uh, The War of Art, how many times was Beethoven's Fifth Symphony whispered in the ears of other people? You know, like, I, I think that imagination is like we talked about either the true self or it's God inspired. Like how many, like, cause like you said, it's so transcendent of an experience and it doesn't make any sense yet. It's so visceral. And how many times are we, are we being whispered something that's that our heart is being pulled towards that either we're not hearing or we're not giving ourselves the space to listen. Right. Yeah. Cause all the externalities are just white noise to, to, either God or ourselves. Interestingly enough, like you made me think of something with that. How come we can read a fantasy story or watch a movie or watch a TV and, and accept it as like a reality in the moment. And then other times dismiss it as, as garbage. Yeah. Like you can tell, you can tell when something's inspired, you know, like you could have two things that are almost the same. And then somehow our like whatever's within us that that judges the the art will say this is valuable and this is not. This is true. This is not. Even mm. though they exist in the same metaphysical plane, neither of them are concretely reality. But we may accept one as being true and one that's not. That's fascinating. Mm-hmm. Like the fact that we can almost like discern between imaginative or metaphysical rea- or representations which one is real and which one's not yeah and i want to i want to delve into that i think i don't think we can have uh, in regards to how to navigate this world right uh, between imagination and fantasy and re- you know govern I, I guess the over overhanging thing is reality and this this my whole way of thinking presupposes objective reality i, I can't 
I don't understand how to interface with the world without it. I mean, uh, of course, we've talked about deconstruction and, you know, or moving from order to disorder to reorder and the, and the metaphysical journey, the hero's journey. Uh, with that, the call to adventure that forces us to break everything apart so that we can put it back together in a way that makes sense. Uh, anyway, without even going into that, um, I don't think we can have, like, how do you navigate that world? And I, I don't think we can have this conversation with without mentioning heart and also mentioning con- conscience. Conscience is something that every human I've ever met has, no matter what they believe or what worldview they, they behold. Uh, the, the only case that can be made in my view, and I've never met someone like this, truly, um, even doing years of psychotherapy now, a true sociopath, which is some word that we've invented to describe someone who has a hard time uh, interfacing with empathy. And by the way, it usually, um, when you ever meet somebody like that, um, which by the way, I've never met, Hmm. it's usually complex trauma. They're not actually a sociopath. They've just deadened that thing in them to protect themselves. Anyway, sidebar. But I don't think we can have this conversation without talking about conscience. This thing inside, this internal thing inside of us that reacts when we make decisions. And it either reacts in a way of like, ah, yeah. Or it reacts in a way of like, uh, right? In my view, we can't have we can't navigate the world of imagination without pairing it without being attentive to to our experience of conscience, which is an internal kind of homing beacon or, or standard of right from wrong. And so, this is a conversation I I don't think that's being had a lot right now, because it quickly goes into worldviews, it quickly goes into religion and, and morality, and that's fine. Uh, I'm a religious person. But I think it's a universal way to have this conversation is talking about human conscience. Did that make you, like, can you pay attention inside to what, how your body reacts to that? I think so many things in, you know, moving from, from order to disorder to reorder, so many things that we now call in, you know, post-enlightenment scientific mind, scientific method thinking uh, of, uh, um, you know, right from wrong the human conscience is a universal. Everyone seems to have it. It seems to be objective is my point. Mm -hmm. This is why we resonate. This is why um, story resonates with us and what makes a good story and not a good story. Whether or not who, whether whoever you're rooting for the hero or the villain, you're it, that you're, you're kind of exploring that objective standard. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to kind of just name that this idea of conscience uh, in my view, kind of in hindsight, looking back when I was certainly going through deconstruction, I made the mistake of negating that, not following my conscience to my own detriment. And, and I'm still dealing with some of those consequences, but perhaps if you're going to explore this wild blue yonder world of imagination and possibility and potentiality, maybe one of the greatest compasses you can have if nothing else is pay attention to your conscience, mm-hmm. how your body reacts. I, I want to go down that path and try to, as, as usual, go down the, the route of pragmatic because there's probably people who are listening now who are really fired up about what we're talking about, but they're maybe struggling to 
understand how do I insert that more into my life now? So when we're talking about conscience and we're talking about imagination and reconnecting with the childlikeness of our youth, we've talked about previously, what are some ways that you can kind of connect there, right? And, and one of those ways we talked about is giving yourself space, right? Being able to hear, being able to remove the externality so that you can hear your true self, be able to imagine. But what are some additional pragmatic ways to insert imagination uh, and reconnecting to that as an adult? See, this is why, Jake, one of the reasons I love you and, and you're such a contribution to the, to our, to this discussion and, and all of our discussions is the practical. I don't think, usually I don't think of that. I can Same. go, I can go <laughs> deep into the metaphysics and then uh, it's kind of like, what do I do with that? Like, where's the handholds? Uh, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. So do you have an, would you like to answer? Man. I, can try. I, I think I need to, yeah. I mean, I think I need yeah. to kind of think on it a little bit. I can start. Yeah. Thanks. I think beyond what we talked about with giving yourself space, that's like, I think that's the most important thing that you can do. And I think we talked about this last time, why I'm going to go get a cigar tonight with some friends and why I do that oftentimes by myself. I'm connecting with something. Not only do I, that I appreciate that people have been doing for like hundreds of years that we're continuing on this tradition, but I'm able to, you know, disconnect from TV, from my phone, whatever, and just listen, like just listen for an hour and a half to myself. And I have the most, um, eye opening experiences about myself and actually connecting with myself when I have just the hour to sit alone. When is the last time you sat alone, you know, by yourself? maybe just in a coffee shop or maybe just like out, out in nature. Like when have you given yourself a, an ample amount of time, not five minutes, not a minute, but like disconnecting from your phone technology and everything and just sitting for an hour. That's where I'd start of course. But I think that also to kind of find yourself again, when we're talking about removing externalities, you have to give yourself something concrete to move towards. And I think that's the heart of that. That is the heart of 0400 is, is the questions that we ask of who are you? What do you want? And where are you going? The fundamental questions of, of direction, right? And I think you have to understand who you are. Like, what do you value? That's, that's what those questions are. It's like, what do you value? What do you want? And where do you go? And those are value statements. So find deep down, like who, what, what is it that is drawing you? What, what do you value in life? What makes struggle worth it, right? I'd start there. Try to build some kind of value. Well, let me jump on that because that gave me something to kind of explore with being the idea of being alone or being quiet. Literally yesterday, I was in a room uh, with, with my wife, Lacey. Um, and we were at the hospital. Everything's fine. We thought maybe she was ha uh, in labor. Um, and so we were in the hospital in this room, uh, and there's nothing to do in that room. <laughs> uh, 
and the and the Wi-Fi wasn't great, and it was like I I came right up. I mean, we had we were in there for three hours, and I came again right up to this thing. Of course, we we took our phones out, and the thing that I came up against is the uncomfortable nature of boredom. Again, going back to boredom. What do you, you know, I would say that boredom is a good test, you know, because boredom drives you into fear and speculation. I mean, the only thing to notice when you're bored is imagination and it's a choice and it takes effort. I remember when I was a kid, um, and I'm going to use this with my own children, but when I was bored, uh, my mom would say, um, something to the effect of, you know, tough deal with it. You know, like she, she would, um, encourage me to find something to do, use my imagination, play, or, or she has a whole list of things that need to be done around the house that work, you know, arduous mundane work. And she was like, take your, take your pick, you know? Uh, and I was, I was confronted with that yesterday. It was just like, oh man, you know, we never get past this. Or maybe that's kind of the, the call to adventure. Basically I was in that room with nothing to do. And, you know, as you know, with, even with marriage, I mean, it's not like deep heartfelt conversations 24 seven. There's times where you're just in a room together. You know what I mean? And so I was confronted with that again. It, it was, am I just going to default to watching videos and lectures on YouTube, which is kind of what I like to do, give my mind something to follow? Uh, or could I sit there, lean into that process and create something in the room? And I think that's a very important thing. So what I would say is practically the longer I live, the more I'm realizing that methods are arbitrary. I'm, I'm not really interested in selling methods anymore and throwing tools at people. Uh, I believe you are the people, you are the tool. And so I'm not interested so much in methods and like, here's what I do as I am, which I don't mean to skirt the question, but I'm more interested in, in, in just knowing that, or just claiming the reality that your imagination is going no matter what. Drive. Where do you want to go? You know, what do you want? Where are you going? And it requires effort and it requires a certain amount of pain, I think, to drive us into that. Um, the most horrifying reality I can imagine is being in prison for many reasons, but the main reason being what do you do with your mind there, right? You could be in a room, uh, you know, an, uh, an eight-foot square room with metal bunks and a sink and a toilet with fluorescent lights. It's, I, can't remember, I can't imagine a more horrible place. Uh, is there a way you can be free there? And I think the only way that you can do that is using the key of imagination to, mm. to do that. So that's what I would say. And, and um, I would also 
So, I mean, this is driving me into the conversation of visualization. That's what imagination is. We see it. And, and half of our brain is set up to think in pictures. The other half is set up to think in words. And we forget that. And, and we're kind of taught again. We're kind of guided out of thinking in pictures, aren't we? Mm-hmm. So we? So we pay $15 to go see a picture. Right? A picture is a thousand words. So it's way more potent. An image, a picture, a vision. You were mentioning icons earlier. By the way, we should have like a, besides the book list, we should have like a YouTube channel list. And we're, I'm just going to throw out there uh, Jonathan Pagio. Mm-hmm. Uh, he goes way deeper into this stuff. And I'm, I'm currently feeding at his trough. Um, but yeah, I'd say visualization. So I actually brought a few artifacts with me today uh, here on the table. Uh, one is a hat and it, the hat I got off of Amazon because, um, Disney doesn't sell this or, or at least it was too expensive if I found it, but it's, it's, um, do you recognize this, this character? Don't, don't pay attention to the words. You recognize the face? I do, but I can't remember what it is. So a child of the nineties would, would know what this is if they've been to Disney world. Uh, what what's on my hat oh, yep. is figment it's a character uh that that walked around uh the disney parks which i was obsessed with as a kid um and figment in particular always stuck with me it was this man that had this like false arm and a puppet you know so like he could move the 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 mani- <coughs> manipulate figment it's a dragon which i think is important um but it's figment figment of your imagination it it, it walked he walked around uh, this guy walked around uh epcot and figment was this kind of character that uh lived in the world of imagination and to this day i mean i wear this hat as a i mean i'm 38 and that and i wear this because it, it's calling it's it's like calling something forth deep inside of me is the the realm of imagination um, but this idea of visualization is, has always been so intriguing and compelling to me. It's, it's obvious. I mean, it's how everything works, which has driven me into the conversation of the power of the subconscious mind. And, of course, everything in legend and myth and, sec- and, and honestly, psychology is driving towards this. And, and part of this conversation, ha- in my view, has been take all this with a grain of salt. This is just my perspective has been, has been kind of captured into this, um, turning the power of the subconscious or God into a genie, mm-hmm. uh, which only corrupts the human soul. I think be- because it's, it's like wishful thinking. It's, it's like, uh, using the system, using God to, to benefit me material materially. But um, there's a, a documentary that came out a long time ago um, called The Secret, the, and it explores this idea of the law of attraction, which it's a controversial conversation, I've noticed. I don't know why. Um, I think this is why. I think because um, people have used it to kind of just further their own selfishness and self-obs- uh, self-obsession. Like me, 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 me. 
And so they dream of like wealth and fame and the car they want to drive and that kind of thing. They, they use it for uh, like counterfeit or shallow purposes, but that's not to say that there isn't something deeply metaphysical and important that's happening in this thing called the, the, this conversation surrounding the law of attraction. So I have two books that are, I have three books that I bought or brought today. One is, is the Bible. The other is the power of the subconscious mind, which came out maybe almost a hundred years ago. And the other one is, uh, came out recently and it's called, uh, it's it, the title of the book is change your paradigm, change your life. And th- these, those two books are slightly controversial to the point that I'm, I'm almost embarrassed or shy to show them to people because of what people might already just start making up about this. Uh, because this realm of the law of attraction, which is basically is visualization fed with feeling and something happens. It's, and it's pretty consistent to the point that there are many books written about it now that have been written for hundreds of years. Um, this conversation has been going on and, and when, when you, when it's kind of been forced through the filter of our materialistic egocentric culture, it goes wrong. And I, and I, I, you know, I understand why it's criticized by many deeper religious people or, or people that have deeper values and things like this, but it's not to say that it's not a thing. Um, what we think of repetitively what we envision and feeding it with feeling something that moves us when we pair that with a vision which takes effort and intentionality things start to change in our life it's it's a very fascinating thing we all understand it and if you and if fear if you're not driving and and fear and speculation is the thing then that's what you're going to get and so it's a controversial topic, and I think especially as a Christian, uh, anytime I've tried to have this conversation with people, I quickly get shot down, which is why I don't like to have the conversation with people anymore. Uh, certainly in 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 um, in Christian circles, um, because it can easily become God is now a genie, and you're using God for your own benefit. And I understand all of that. It, it, it kind of like it's very precarious because our sinful nature. Um, if we're not careful, can totally go into idol worship and making idols out of things and even making an idol out of um, even good things and things that you envision and stuff like that, where you're not, you're not pursuing God for God's sake. You're not pursuing like where God is enough. Mm-hmm. Um, you're pursuing God for what I can get. Right. Mm-hmm. So I, anyway, I just wanted to offer that. Um, I'm exploring the, that kind of stuff. I'm very fascinated by it. And I think there's a, there's an important conversation to be had about imagination, going back to hook, going back to that scene at the banquet, the feast where it was invisible food. And the only way he was able to satiate himself and therefore redeem his identity, redeem by redeeming his imagination and therefore um, experience community and fun food fight was by envisioning the thing that he wanted mm-hmm. and believing that it was real. And that's what made it real. So I want to just kind of offer that. I know it's, yeah. there's a lot to go. There's a lot of places to go with that. But Well, I touched on that earlier when, you know, we were talking about 0400 and what it's been, you know, for us. And how I think, like, the reason it's controversial is because you see the people out there that are like, I envision my Lamborghini. I envision my blah, 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 blah. And that is, that is not happening, Right. 
at least not in the sense like it's not going to when I was like eight years old, I remember I prayed one night that all the Pokemon cards would end up in my folder the next morning. <laughs> like I wanted I wanted all 150 or whatever. And I remember I was like, I believe I really and that was it was hard because I really believed because I had faith like a child that when I woke up in the morning that God would have magically put the Pokemon cards in my in my folder in order. And it didn't happen. But if it was a goal of mine, you know, long term to say, I'm going to have all these Pokemon cards because for some reason it's valuable to me. Obviously, it's not. that's a very menial version of this. Then I could have oriented myself in a position to collect them all, you know. And I think that that's the difference. And that's why people don't think through the fact that what they aim towards through imagination and through visualization becomes who they are just like Mm -hmm. just like you're kind of a sum total of the five people you spend the most time around you know your life's going to be the sum total of what your mind is oriented towards and so if you're oriented towards the achievement of a goal right then you're going to find and you as you said you feed it with feeling and you visualize what it looks like and you write it down then you're 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 body begins to move towards those things subconsciously Mm -hmm. you start to make decisions that point you towards the things that you're envisioning and that's how it that's how (coughs) sorry sorry man that's how it manifests not by magic but by but by intention maybe Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. yeah so yeah i think that it's it's a controversial topic because it's misunderstood Mm mm-hmm I think it's an important conversation to be had, yeah. especially in, and again, just in my own context, uh, in, in Christianity. It's not folly. Now, it's dangerous. It's dangerous. But it, it's dangerous because it presupposes it's that even the dangerous part of it is pointing to the reality that this thing works. Something about the human engine, the the... The, the human desire, who are you? It's that deeper level of who are you? What do you want? Where are you going? What are you envisioning? What are you chasing after? And if you don't, con- if you don't consciously produce that, it will be fed to you. Why do you think movies move us? It's imagery that, that, we're, that we, we feed on met with music, right? Have you ever watched a silent movie? It's a totally different experience. It's fed with feeling, of course, all this things underpins there, uh, underpinnings there of story and narrative, and that compels us as well. But yeah, what do you dream about? What do you vi- what do you envision? And there's just something amazing that happens when you when you cast a vision. It it orients you. It, it drives you in that direction. So, are you driving or not? Hmm. Who are you? What do you want? Where are you going? This is the 0400 podcast. We'll see you next time. Keep dreaming. Keep dreaming.